Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Matthew Simmons from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he's gonna share how he was able to bring in $2 million in wholesaling fees in his first two years wholesaling. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, founder of the Offer Fast Homes app, the only MLS for off-market wholesale properties, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. Uh, one question I get a lot is how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? So please allow me to answer it here. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you take consistent action, I promise you that you will get there. All you need to do is when you hear a big nugget, type into the comment section after the show, identify the biggest nugget and implement only that for the next seven days with laser-like focus. If you're impatient like me and you want to cut two or three years off that time, if you're struggling to turn leads into appointments, frustrated because you're closing, you're not closing enough of your appointments that you're going on, or constantly worried because some of your contracts go dark right before close of escrow, let's schedule a call at disruptors.com. We'll see if we can help you make, help you become a millionaire faster. Don't forget, I am doing a little mini series on how to get more done in less time. If you wanna join me on the Zoom call tomorrow, go to disruptors.com slash time. I'm not selling anything there, I promise that's all free. Uh, if you get value today, please tag friend below or share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show so please ask your questions for Matthew to answer. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do All it. All right. That was a little longer than it usually is. Hopefully everyone is still, still with us. <laughs> um, so what got you into real estate? Wow. So I got a little later start than most, I think, especially the folks I see on the show. But um, I, uh, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Started uh, in the health club industry. Uh, owned a gym for 16 years. Couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah, not like I used to. In Pittsburgh, um, sold that um, in 2017. Uh, a couple years before I sold that, I started another company called Keystone Bath in Pittsburgh. We specialized in like one-day bath remodeling for seniors, uh, walk-in tubs, walk-in showers, all that stuff. That's Which incredible. Was, one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One-day installs, and there's a huge uh, demographic of older folks in Pittsburgh. So. That business did really well. I got an offer to sell that, even though I wasn't actively looking to sell. And so I found myself in December of 2017, again, without a job, talking to my wife, what are we gonna do? What's my next move? And I watched a YouTube video from Max Maxwell and decided this looks cool. This kind of fits my my skill set. It's sales. It's real estate, which I'm interested in. I then watched a Bigger Pockets podcast with a guy named Lance Wakefield, mm -hmm. who's a wholesaler out of Dallas, Texas. I tracked him down. At the time, he was doing three, four hundred thousand dollars a month, and I said, I want to learn how to do this. He was nice enough to kind of show me the ropes. So in January, uh, we sent out January 2018. I sent out 5,000 postcards, no deals. February, 5,000 postcards, no deals, cold calling, probates, knocking on doors, nothing. And then it was March 2018, uh, nine deals, 111,000. Wait, so and, goose egg, goose egg, nine. Yeah, yeah. Now, keep in mind, some of those deals in March were from marketing efforts in January and February. Of course. but nine deals, uh, 111,000. So it was at that point, obviously huge proof of concept. First month, six figures. Yes. That's incredible. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, so my wife and I kind of looked at each other like, okay, 
this this is something that could work um and then from there on out it's been full steam ahead uh we haven't had a month below 100 since then before covid mm-hmm. um i don't know how much you know about what's going on in pennsylvania but we were completely I mean, shut down everyone wants to crucify the governor so yeah is pretty much hearing. yeah not much has changed <laughs> um we were completely shut down real estate is non-essential yeah uh somehow some other questionable things were and we weren't but nonetheless roll with the punches uh that was our first month below uh since we got started but actually this month we've since rebound this will be our best month to make up for that okay well that's good so yeah. let's take a step back here so you were in the fitness industry you said you sold sold the gym okay so um i when did you start that fitness gym uh 2001 2001 oh so you were doing it for a very long time yeah uh so when i first got into this information marketing component right like people don't know uh i tried a coaching business like 2014 oh, okay. right and fitness was one of those industries was which was like a model for information marketing. Oh, okay. Right, because you know, you got the the recurring revenue. Yeah. Um, you can have a lot of people paying that aren't even using your gym. Right. And they won't quit because if they cancel, then they're quitting on themselves. Exactly right. Right, so there's a lot of uh, great um, lessons in marketing for starting your gym. Sure. Did you partake in any of that? Did you take any of those lessons to help you like basically take off with your real yeah. estate business? Yeah, um, no. Uh, I, I wish I could sit here and say yes. No, the gym was more of a, I lifted weights, I mm-hmm. tanned, um, I was a D-bag and just yeah. kind of hung out all day. I wish I took it more serious. We were successful despite me, um, but we did well. And okay. it was a good, good learning period for me. I learned a lot of what not to do. Luckily for me, what happened for me was this, uh, January of 2017, I had already sold the gym, done well with that exit, and I was looking, I was getting an offer on the bath company. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, sounds corny, but it's the real life. I was washing my vehicle and I I listened to that, and something just kind of sparked in me. I realized that despite the outside image of success and and being an entrepreneur and having these things, um, I wasn't really proud of the way I had run these companies. Um, and so I completely rebooted. It was in January of 2017. I started my journey on working on myself. I quickly learned that my level of success was not going to exceed my level of self-improvement. And right. so I started down this journey. I hadn't read a book since college. And I, I had dis- that problem too. I, I knew everything when I graduated college. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing <laughs> how much you know. And so for me, I really decided I'm gonna read a book a week. Um, and that journey started for me in January of 2017. I haven't looked back. So often weeks where two books go in and it's just, it completely changed my life. I assent- so, so people have this impression about me that I took off very quickly and of course, as far as the logistics of actually wholesaling, that started in January of 2018. But there was 12 months leading up to that where I literally brainwashed myself. My wife would watch me, I'd be cutting the grass, listening to Secrets of a Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Ecker, pointing to my head saying, I have a millionaire mind, putting my hand over my heart and repeating these mantras. And over the course of 12 months, I completely changed my thought process, and everything about me 
just changed. I started getting up earlier. I started performing better. Um, and I just became a better man. And so, so what, when you had the gym, none of this was happening. No. So like you were saying, Party time. It, it, it succeeded despite you. It did. But you still had your one day bathroom remodeling company. Right. So did you see that company just take off because uh, of it? It did, and that's where I went out and sought out um, some contracts with the state. And so what happens is these folks go into nursing homes and they go into facilities and it's a lot cheaper for the state to send them home. But their home needs to be able to support them. And so if they have a traditional tub or a shower, oftentimes they can't get in and out. And that's where most of the falls occur. So I created a relationship with the state whereby they would hire my company to go in and renovate the space and get the, the grab bars up and the walk-in tub in and the lower toilet or, or the higher toilet and the, all the things that need to go in to make it ADA compliant before the person came home. Mm -hmm. So by getting those contracts with the state, literally every morning we would wake up and get a fax of jobs, a fax in 2018 from the state, <laughs> imagine that, of jobs that needed to be completed that week. So my marketing essentially was zero and we were getting more jobs than we could possibly do. Because of relationships though. Exactly right. And that's what made that company a saleable asset was mm -hmm. that recurring revenue, similar to the gym where you have these people paying every month. I had proven receivables coming and that's why I was able to sell that business. Well, I think that's a good point though. You know, we, we hear it all the time, you know, relationships, squad up, right? Right. And I think that people may not understand how powerful that statement is because uh, you got your recurring business by fax but it's because of who you knew right right who you knew and what you're able to do for that person make that make them look good for their boss make their lives easier whatever it is but one question you know a lot of us when we're newer it's like how do i do this how do i get leads how do i do whatever and the question really shouldn't be how do i do this is really like who do i know that can help me sure right either who do i know that can mentor me or who do i know that i can hire whatever right. But the who question is really the most important question that everybody overlooks. Right. Yeah, and I, I found that person in Lance. Um, you know, he was on a podcast. Anybody could have could have reached out to that guy. Yeah. And I harassed him until he agreed to get on a phone call with me and tell me what he knew. And to his credit, he was a go-giver, and he taught me a lot. And he yeah. really got me off on the right foot. So during those 12 months, I completely brainwashed myself. So again, when people say, well, how did you do six figures in your first month? It wasn't really my first month, it was my 15th month. Mm -hmm. Because I had been brainwashing myself for 12. So think of it this way, Steve, if somebody took away all of your knowledge right now about wholesaling, you know nothing about wholesaling, but you still had all of the self-improvement that you've been disciplined enough to give yourself, and you started wholesaling tomorrow, you would crush it because you'll learn the wholesaling part. Yeah. That's the easy part, the, the whys and the, the ins and outs and the tips and tricks. If you already have the mindset right going into that, you have a huge advantage over everyone else because most people are concurrently trying to get their head right while they're learning how to cold call. Yeah. And that's very difficult because cold calling sucks. So you're gonna quit if your mind isn't right. By the time I sat down and picked up a phone to cold call a pre-probate, which is one of the worst things in the world a human being can do, I was already successful. Yeah. I already had deals in the pipeline. I was ready to go, and there was no question I was gonna succeed. Yeah, I think something that you know people 
are, are hard to see. And yeah, you you know you say it was your fifteenth month. There's this idea like you know it was an overnight success, and I think you need to give yourself a little bit more credit. Uh, but there's a little bit of uh, you know Jim Collins that says you know so, it sometimes takes five years. Yep. To become an overnight success. Exactly right. You don't see all the work behind the scenes. Yeah. So let's just start. Okay. So you sold your bathroom business. You had your exit there, and then you started January mm-hmm. of 2018. And what were what were the first steps you took as far as marketing goes when you said, all right, this is it, I'm all in? Yeah, good question. So Lance is a direct mail guy. So first thing, uh, 5,000 postcards went out. Um, but in addition to that, I was cold calling pre-probates, cold calling probates. I was cold calling pre-foreclosures. I was knocking doors of pre-foreclosures. I was knocking doors of tax delinquents, not very well received in Pittsburgh, to say the least. Um, I was doing a ton of driving for dollars. I back then uh, we didn't have um, some of the apps like GoKnock and others that we have now, where you can do the virtual driving for dollars. Mm-hmm. I just went on Google Earth and kind of tooled around the nicer neighborhoods, um, and then my wife and I would handwrite letters and we would mail them off. It's so funny that this comes up. We got a call, and I'm sure my team is laughing about this right now. We got a call from one of those handwritten letters that my wife and I wrote in January of 2018 yesterday. The lady passed away, and her daughter found the letter in her desk that I hand wrote about having an interest in her house, and we got an appointment. So the point is, it was just grinding, just basic stuff. It's the same stuff everybody else did, but with the mindset of, I'm going to succeed because I've already got this mental thing on point. And so we started off with the mail and at first I struggled. I was going on appointments and I was trying to implement the same strategies that I used in previous businesses and that was way, way, way too aggressive, (laughs) way too aggressive. I mean, I was like borderline getting physical here on these appointments, telling people they're gonna sign their house. And so it wasn't until the third month that I really got a hang of how this all worked, and that's when we started doing deals. Can I share a story I had? Please. So I went to this buy appointment a long time ago. I can't remember when it was. The guy was a competitive bodybuilder. (laughs) He made it a point to explain to me he was a competitive bodybuilder. We do that. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've got this contract. I was like, you know, I think his house is worth 240, and he wanted to offer for 240. I was like, I'm at 180. And then he started flexing. He's like, no, it's going to be 240. I'm like, no, it's going to be 180. But where's the door? <laughs> yeah. And he, he flexed one more time. I was like, all right, I got to get out of here. I don't know where this guy's going with this. But this isn't yeah, happening. he's a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, so what I would actually do is, so simultaneously to having the bath business, I was the company that we bought our products from saw the volume we were doing and said, how are you selling this many walk-in tubs in a relatively small market and so what they did was hire me to be a consultant to go and meet with other distributors and teach their reps how to sell the walk-in tubs well i had designed a system of a one call close involving price drops Mm -hmm. high 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 pressure so you go into the house you give the presentation you tell them i'm going to give you three prices one price is good for 45 days or excuse me one price is good for a year One price is good for 45 days. The next price is good today. And then you hit them at the end with the 20,000 for a year. Of course, if you wanna make a decision in the next 45 days, the price is 16.5. So, you know, take your time, think about it, pray on it, let me know. 
And of course, then they say, well, didn't you say there was another price, like a today price? And you say, oh, well, my, I, I didn't think you were ready today, but since you brought it up, mm -hmm. and then you turn the paper around, it's like $12,000. Mm -hmm. So it worked, it yeah, worked. You, you created a false sense of urgency. Exactly, <laughs> and it worked really well, and I trained a lot of people on how to do it. It didn't translate quite as well going into people's homes. Mm -hmm. And so I really thought those first few months, I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna bulldog people with this incredible skill set that I have, and people are gonna sign their houses over to me. And they, yeah. they didn't, they did the exact opposite. As you train people, what did they do? They just pulled away. Oh yeah, they're Guys way too up. thirsty, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I did nothing. It wasn't until the third month where I really got a feel for, okay, this is not just a bathtub. Yeah. This is somebody's home. This is in some cases the biggest asset they own. Um, I need to pump my brakes a little bit be a little more empathetic and yeah. that's when I really started. Well, the biggest thing for a lot of people that are transitioning is you're not selling a product anymore. You're not even selling a service. I know we think we're selling a service, we're not. Right. We're selling us. Yeah. And that's it. We're selling Matthew. That's right. it. And if you're going to sell Matthew, you can't high pressure. No. <laughs> no, nobody wants to buy a high pressure Matthew. Yeah. So talk about, you know, two goose eggs, right? Mm -hmm. It was two and mm -hmm. then the nine. So you've got this background all of those books you've read the mental um uh, toughness the the uh, the clarity and so on what was it like the first two months when you're sending out five thousand postcards and nothing's happening like what was there any self-doubt was there any talk like you know this wasn't for you what was that because that's a struggle that a lot of people still face today yeah no there wasn't and honestly i have to give credit to my wife um my wife is just so supportive. I mean, just imagine. So she, when she met me, um, I didn't even mention I had vending machines. That was another business that was successful, but I sold it. Uh, then the gym, she goes through that ride with me. Then the, the bath company, she goes through that ride with me. Then I tell her I watched the YouTube video um, and I'm going to start wholesaling real estate. And she doesn't even hesitate. She, she just says, yeah, do it. You're yeah. gonna do it. I can't can't express enough how important that is to people. Um, people focus so much on who they partner with on the business side, and they don't even think that the person that they're potentially gonna partner with as a spouse mm -hmm. is just as much, if not more important. I can't imagine all the weight of being an entrepreneur having to drag someone else along that journey who's not on board. She carries me, I carry her. And so, no, I never got discouraged. She said, you're gonna figure this out, keep doing what you're doing. I also had Lance in my in my ear telling me, you're doing everything right, keep doing it. Maybe relax a little bit on your appointments. <laughs> you're a little bit of a spaz, I've been told. Um, but eventually, no, I, I was in a good space, man. I knew yeah. it was gonna happen. So let's talk about the very first deal. Okay. How did you find that deal? First deal, um, cold called a pre-probate. Um, luckily the call was well received. They said, I'm glad you called. We really need to get rid of this place. It was a rental and everything that I had studied was that Max Maxwell 70% of ARV minus repairs, which is where we're still selling in Pittsburgh today. So I'm evaluating it as a flip, but it's in an area called Natrona Heights. It's not really a flip area per se, especially this neighborhood, but it was truly turnkey. Now, that actually all worked to my advantage because if I did that now, I would have offered more because I would have known that as a turnkey rental, the place had value. But to me, I'm, I'm looking at 70% of ARV and it's not unusual in this area to have an ARV be like $50,000. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying, all right, so I'm at 35 minus repairs. 
the place is turnkey, but the whole thing would be updated to look like these ones on HGTV. So my goodness, I don't even know if I could wholesale this place at any number. And so that worked to my advantage because I went back to the seller and I said, listen, um, I don't want to insult you. The reality is you know that I'm going to probably flip the house. Um, and by the time I run those numbers backwards and subtract off some profit, you know what the values are here. Um, I'm afraid it's not going to leave much meat on the bone for a purchase price. And I really don't want to insult you. And I just kind of left it at that. And that was the key because then they, they felt comfortable enough to say, hey, we're not expecting much. Mm -hmm. Like, we really just want to get rid of this place. You're not going to insult us. We understand you have to make money. So I said $9,000. They said we were hoping for 20. We settled on 11. First deal, sold it for 29. So I got it for 11, sold it for 29, which was $18,000. And there weren't a ton of people in Pittsburgh doing wholesaling. So I remember I went and talked to a couple people and they were just shocked. You got it for 11? You so you're going to have to do a double close. I mean, $18,000, that's insane. Like, And of course, now, you know, that's kind of normal. But back then, it was kind of like a really big deal. So that was the first one. Again, proof of concept. And from there, it just kind of snowballed. 18 is a great that's first great. one. I would take that now for sure. Okay. So nine deals your first month. And you haven't looked back except for COVID. Mm -hmm. So what was the journey like the rest of the year? Uh, it was a struggle um, just because uh, the volume continued. I mean, mm -hmm. in fr from month three through month eight, no, month nine, I was a solopreneur and I had no staff. And in those six months, um, we did close to $700,000 as a one-man show. My wife was still working full-time. She was a nurse practitioner um, as well as a, a mother. So she had her hands full. I had no staff, so I'm doing the marketing, I'm doing the acquisitions, I'm doing the dispositions, I'm doing the transaction coordination, um, still trying to keep up with my pipeline. Um, and so it was good and bad. The good would be that A, I learned how to do everyone's job. Mm -hmm. So now when somebody on my team tries to talk shit and oh, it's so difficult to show a property when the <laughs> sellers are in the house or I, I really can't lock this up at this number because of X, Y, and Z. Um, I've been there. I've done it. As a matter of fact, I did it while I was doing your friend's job over there too at the same time. <laughs> so I saw every single step along the way and I learned how to do all of it. The other good part about it was I was operating at 71% profit for six months. I had Incredible. no expenses, no expenses. We paid, we had marketing and that was about it. Mm -hmm. I, we took draws, but I didn't take a salary at the time. So we were just churning away at an incredible profit margin and actually still to this day, use the money that we made that first six months to continue to build our rental portfolio. So it was a great lesson. I think had I hired someone sooner, I probably could have scaled even more because month nine when I hired Carolyn, my office manager, who's a godsend, um, she completely organized my life and, yeah. and my and my office. And then I could really start to focus on other things. So let's talk about the struggle as a solopreneur, because a lot of people listening to this show, you know, they're they're still working by themselves. And one of the greatest challenges I've witnessed my entire career is you got deals and you have fires. And if you have fires, prospecting stops. So you go through this roller coaster. Definitely. Right? Did you go through that? I did. Um, now, I will say, I didn't have as many fires as most because my title company is incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can send them 
a pile of crap and we get a closing in, in 30 days or well, less. So that could be like, you know, if your title company's good, you're going to have fewer title challenges, but you're going to have buyers that aren't performing True. or hard money lenders, change of heart, or like, I won't fund this until I get to walk through the house. Sure. You you deal with these hard money lenders. Like, where do you come up with the idea that you can walk through a house? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We still deal with that today. Yeah. So there are these other challenges of the fires. And what happens when you're newer, when you're a solopreneur is like, I can't have this die. I, yeah. I need, I need this to close. Right? Yeah. And so because I need this to close, I stop prospecting. And yeah. then you have this other problem in four to six weeks. Sure. So how did you? Yeah. And I would say, um, I wasn't newer. Was I newer to wholesaling? Yes, but mm -hmm. not newer to business and not newer to the mental strength that's required to be able to deal with the ups and downs. So for me, um, I knew the first six months to a year were gonna be hell, it was gonna be a grind. Um, I was ready for it. And of course there were ups and downs, you know, deals fell apart. Um, but if you just keep filling your pipeline enough, you eventually get to a point where you're not living and dying with each deal. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little more balance. But of course, still struggled along the way for sure. Yeah. So what kind of hours were you working? Um, I think it'd be easier to quantify what hours I wasn't working. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I so I, I'm an early riser since January of 2017. Um, so up at four, do my thing in the morning and then uh, hang out with family until nine. And then from nine until my kids come home around five, 5.30. Um, doing my thing in the office and then uh, kids were going to bed at seven back then and then I'd work from seven to 11. Hmm. Um, so that was my life for um, almost about two years. So in 2018, you still had pretty good balance? Um, no, 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 I wouldn't say that's balance. Um, you know, balance in the sense that I'm getting the, that little bit of time with them in the morning mm -hmm. and um, some time with them in the evening. But even on weekends, I worked. Um, I, I really don't even, to me, balance is kind of a myth if you're an entrepreneur and you're early and you're trying to get started. Um, it's not even something I seek right now. Mm -hmm. I'm just not gonna have balance at this phase of my career. Um, I, I think I, I'm, I'm told often, and certainly not by any of my loved ones, but I'm told often that I work too much. I hear mm -hmm. that a lot. And it's funny because I consider myself kind of ambitiously lazy. Like I will do anything right now to have freedom at some point. And we have a very clear path to freedom. My wife and I have financial goals and a path to get there. So the way I look at it is the guy who's driving downtown every day, um, he's the guy who loves to work, mm -hmm. not me. I mean, I, I, I hate to work so bad that I work my ass off now to not have to. Right. That guy's gonna work for the next 40 years. Um, only to probably retire and have to still work or do something else. That's so, what uh, Dave Ramsey says, you know, like uh, live like nobody today so that you can live like nobody. Exactly, Yeah. exactly. And to do that, I'm not sure you can find a real great balance. And so for me, we sacrifice a ton. My wife works just as much as I do. We, we sacrifice a ton. We haven't watched TV in three years, literally. Um, and we're not some weirdos that think the TV's like the devil. We love watching TV. We're normal people. It's just not something that's on our radar right now. And so we find that there's a lot of things that we do miss out on. Mm -hmm. And that's a decision we've made to, to keep pursuing our financial goals. I mean, I see all this stuff on social media right now whether it be about Trump or COVID or freaking Pizzagate or whatever all these weirdos are talking about. And, and the reality is some of it's legitimate and some of it's not, 
But my point is, I have blinders on. I'm, I'm just not at a phase of my life, and this may make me selfish. I'm not at a phase of my life or my career where I can be an activist right now. I just can't. I'm, I'm focused on one thing, and that is financial freedom. And of course, along the way, there comes my family, but I can't be focusing on 10 different things right now. So let's, let's define that, because financial freedom means a lot of different things to different people. Mm -hmm. What does financial freedom mean to Matthew Simmons and family? $50,000 a month passive gotcha. um, from real estate. So we have other streams that we're working on as well, but the goal is $50,000 a month passive from real estate. That's after all uh, management fees, everything's paid. Um, and with Pace, I'm part of the Sub2 crew, mm -hmm. as you know. Um, shout out to Sub2 crew, love that. Just an unbelievable group of men and women, especially Pace. Um, the amount of time and effort and love he pours into these people is insane. So yeah. I, I can't thank him enough. He's just been a life changer for our business. But what I found is that in order for us to get to 50,000 a month passive, we need to wholesale our asses off because it, it costs a lot of money. These sub two houses, these free houses, they're expensive yeah. and they add up. You know, your entry fee, our average entry fee is twelve, thirteen thousand $13,000 on a sub two deal. And so you do three of those a month, it really chews into your cash flow. But we're on a pace where in three and a half years, um, I will be 49, 50, depending. My wife will be 38. We'll be at that $50,000 number and we'll just disappear. I can go play with my babies and you, you won't hear from me. Now, I wouldn't shut the company down because I, I'm hoping we'll get into kind of culture and how I pay my team we're gonna keep things churning along for them. Yeah. Um, but as far as me in a day-to-day -day role, um, I'll be long gone. Gotcha. So going back to earlier, you were saying the you know, first three to nine months, not, the first nine months you were a solopreneur, hire somebody and it kind of took off. Mm -hmm. So what was your first hire? First hire was an office manager, um, organizing the marketing, like what am I supposed to be mailing? How do we, who are we supposed to be calling? Um, set me up with a CRM set up my texting, set up my cold call. You didn't have a CRM. No, <laughs> no, I'm not a real tech. I, I might as well not have one now. I don't even look at the thing. Um, but, but I think this is an important point though, because a lot of guys, a lot of people watching or the audience is they're like, you know what, I need to create a website and you get a business card and you get an LLC and you were just out there making a mess. Oh yeah, just, <laughs> I, what did they call, ignorance on fire was what the one guy told me. He's like, you epitomize <laughs> ignorance on fire. I didn't know any better, I didn't care. Just go, go, go. In fact, it's it's so funny, and when the sub two group started, there was a guy that went on there in the very beginning and said, hey, uh, I just got a list. I wanna start calling it, should I use my cell phone? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, dude, yes. yes, call, call, call. And there were like 30 comments, no, don't call, get a Google voice, get this, get that. Like, dude, just call. Yeah. And like, oh, are you gonna get your business cards too in your golf shirt? Like, to <laughs> me, you better get an LLC. Just call. Yeah. And that's what we did. We just, just start. Just start. Yeah. That's that's. You'll I figure mean, everything else out. My message is consistently is like, I don't care. Just start. Yeah. And everything. You'll figure everything else out. The analogy later. of there's a car going down a windy road. It's dark. It's got its headlights on. You can't see what's way ahead, but you can see enough to keep moving forward. Mm. So many people stop 
because they don't know what's around the corner. You don't need to see what's over there. Just keep moving forward and eventually you'll figure it out. Yeah, there's um, something I learned, you know, I'm all really in uh, personal development and uh, one thing that I've heard is there's just in case learning and there's just in time learning. And so many people are so focused on just in case learning, which here would be surveying, getting out of your car, surveying <laughs> yep. the, the, the landscape and just in time learning is just, let's just figure out what we need to do to get from here to here. Right. And if we get from here to here, then once we're there, we'll figure out what we got to do next. Exactly right. Yeah. So yeah. I love it. So you need to have a CRM when you're yeah. doing all these deals. Amazing. So, yeah. all right. So she helped you with the CRM, uh, organizing your, your business. At that point, uh, what was your overhead? Um, so she was an, uh, an annual salary. Of so, but right before hiring her, what was your overhead? What was the Oh, the like? monthly overhead. I think we were spending about 12 in marketing. Um, total overhead for the business was probably about 15, 16. And that's predominantly mailers? Yes. Okay. Yep. So you hire her, she organizes your life, and then you, and then you said that your business even went even crazier. It did. All right, so what happened? Yeah, so what happened was she started handling some of the transaction coordination. She started handling a lot of the things that were diverting my attention from acquisitions. So I uh, brought her on on an annual salary and it, I mean, it paid for itself immediately because uh, I was able to get more deals under contract. Um, and then really, to be honest, the next hire that completely changed everything was dispositions, mostly because I hate dispositions. The thought of going into someone's house while they're in there and showing it to 20 potential buyers to me is it's a nightmare. It's just not something I look forward to. But that's I did more it. stressful to you than calling someone that's pre-probate. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I just, I get really anxious when I go into someone's house yeah. and I'm bringing in buyers. And so, um, and that's even after telling the sellers, hey, this doesn't fit my model. I'm going to share it with some of my financial partners. Still, I just get an uncomfortable vibe. So I uh, brought in someone to do dispositions. She also took over transaction coordination full time. So now I have somebody organizing my marketing, somebody answering the phone, somebody telling me who I should be calling because I have a legit CRM, somebody handling the transaction coordination and somebody doing the dispositions. Now I'm full steam ahead on marketing, excuse me, on acquisitions. And it really started to take off. Okay, so your office manager, how are you compensating her? $30,000 a year when I hired her. She's since gotten raises, but yeah, when I first hired her, $30,000 a year. Um, hired her off of Indeed, interviewed about eight people, and she's been a godsend. Tremendous. And a disposition person? So I actually went on the Facebook, on the investors page, and I put, hey, any agents interested in selling my deals? Um, at the time, I, was, I said I'll pay $500 per deal, um, and you're responsible for finding a buyer and transaction coordination. So funny. Like 20 agents were like, yeah, $500. Why would anyone do that for $500? Well, we're doing 15 deals a month. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I know what a lot of agents make. Um, so I didn't want to disrespect anybody, but I had a handful of people reach out. Um, talked to three or four, brought on... Um, a girl who was not only an agent but was working towards her brokerage license and she just she knows all of the ins and outs of real estate and she's a hard ass so she's perfect for dispositions even though I love her she's a hard ass and so now that I had that off my plate I knew we were maximizing what we could get for the deals 
again, get my focus back to acquisitions. I just wanted to be in the house. Now I don't ever want to be in the house. Mm -hmm. I know that that's not where my time is best served and I don't, I haven't been on an appointment in a long time. So do you know what your average fee was approximately before you hired her? Yeah, 11.5. And what was your average fee after you hired 13, her? 13,250. Okay, so, so she's safe. more than paying for herself and she's saving you time. Definitely. Yeah. And headaches. I mean, I, that's one of the things. I, I was at a point where when I first started, I wanted to be everyone's friend. And so you get someone that calls you and says, hey, that deal you just put out, I'll take it. Um, okay, well, I have six people scheduled to go over tomorrow at 10 o'clock, so I'll see you there. No, 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 I'll take it. You're done, that's it. Um, and I really would take it personal. I'd feel terrible. Um, whereas Tina, she has no problem saying, no, 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 <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. Um, and we show the property. And so it's made a huge difference for us. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, what kind of volume were you doing at this point what, uh, what, after you hired her? Yeah, we were right around like eight to 12 deals a month, okay. give or take. And then what was your key, uh, next milestone? Next milestone was hiring acquisitions. Okay. So I was so nervous. Despite doing eight to 12 deals a month, I really felt like I just didn't have enough meat on the bone to hire somebody. And I didn't want to hire somebody and not have enough leads for them. I think that's everyone's fear is I'm going to bring this person on who has a good job, who's making good money, and I'm going to make them this promise of coming on board here and, and they're going to make money and then not have leads for them. Mm -hmm. um, but when I took the leap, I brought on two at the same time. Um, I just felt like one of them's probably not going to work out. Let's bring them on and I'll be able to judge. And I luckily, I had kept really good KPIs on my, well, my wife had kept really good KPIs on my performance leading up to this. So I had, I knew what the bar was set at. At least I knew what I thought the gold standard was. So I thought I'll bring two on, they'll kind of compete a little bit and one of them's not gonna work out. Luckily they both worked out, that is, they crushed it. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, what is, since you've hired them, what is your deal flow like now? Um, so since we hired them, we actually hired another acquisitions person. We have three. We have junior acquisitions. We have a creative guy. Um, deal flow now is more like anywhere from 12 to 20. This month is insane. This will be a record month for us. Um, but typical is like 12 to 20. What is this month going to be like? Uh, revenue or deals? Both. Uh, revenue, uh, a little over 300 which is insane for awesome. us. Yeah, that's that's very abnormal. Um, more typicals, you know, one, 150, 200 maybe. Um, and we're gonna do about 21 deals. A big part of the reason was when Pennsylvania got shut down like it did, a lot of our deals were just kind of sitting. Mm -hmm. We couldn't get die tests done. We couldn't meet municipal requirements. People couldn't get funding, but we had deals lined up in the What's pipeline. What's a die test? Oh my, yeah, Pittsburgh thing. Um, <laughs> Good, you're asking the wrong guy, but basically they pour some dye down the toilet and down the downspouts and they make sure that that water is going to the right place. So huh. it's not going into our drinking water, it's not going into the sewage, whatever. Um, and so it's a municipal requirement in certain places. Um, so if those things are shut down, even if your title company's given it hell, you can't close if you can't get lien letters because you haven't completed those gotcha. things. Gotcha. Yeah, and I was messaging with Shalaba like throughout yeah. that time. He was not happy with the, with the governor. No, none of us were. <laughs> none of us are, I should yeah. say. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, 
okay with a responsible shutdown. I mm -hmm. really am. But it was the clean sweep. It was lazy legislature. There's obviously ways to conduct real estate responsibly. Mm -hmm. So if we can find a way for vape shops to do it, if we can find a way for Italian ice shops to do it, surely there's a way that real estate can operate responsibly. Surely. Surely. So, um, so we talked about how you got here today. So, you know, a big part, a lot of the reason why people are watching, we're talking about, you know, two million. And, you know, we talked about the, the, the challenges that you faced, but people probably want to know, you know, as far as like, is there a particular lead source you like the best? Or is there anything that you do differently that you, that you believe in the competition? So let's just start with, you know, who do you target? Yeah, um, man, I wish I had some, some special uh, list that I could give you, but reality, we target the same stuff everybody else does. Um, tax delinquent, probate, pre-probate, pre-foreclosure, uh, absentee owners, especially during COVID, we had a lot of success with that. Um, I think for us, what sets us apart, two things. One is, uh, since we hooked up with Pace Morby, um, we have multiple options for sellers. Mm -hmm. We were doing some sub twos before we linked up with him, but now we're doing sub twos. Not only are we doing them the right way, but we're doing seller finance, we're doing wraps. Um, so now, and we have an agent on our team. So now when we go into the house, it's truly coming from a place of service. We're not just going in there and making a lowball offer. The acquisition manager can go in there and say, I truly have this person's best interest at heart because I can help them any number of different ways. Whereas I think a lot of times traditional wholesalers are going into the house and saying, all right, how am I gonna get this you know, at 50, 60 cents on the dollar? Mm -hmm. We're going in and saying, okay, what are your needs? What are your wants? How can I help you? If that's sub two, great. If it's seller finance, great. If it's a cash deal, great. If not, we'll list it for you. Um, that's one thing. It's just having the ability to do more things than others. But number two, I would say, and I think we'll probably get to this at some point, but it's the people and it's the culture we've created with the company and the reason we're all doing this that really makes us, I think, stand apart. Well, I've done a talk some back in wholescaling, actually, okay. where we hung out. Yes. Uh, and my talk was how to build a cult. Yes. So culture is something I'm very passionate about. Yeah. So let's talk about culture. Cool. Yeah. Speaking of wholesaling, I want to shout out Elizabeth Navarrete yeah. and Charles Wen. They definitely encouraged me to seek you out yeah. and get on the show. So I really appreciate them. Um, yeah. So our culture, I think, really sets us apart in that we have a unique way of paying our acquisition managers. What I came to hear when I first started this from everyone was acquisition managers are divas they're hard to keep they're either going to leave and take what you've taught them and go do it on their own or they're going to um if they don't then they're probably going to be high maintenance okay and so the the school of thought that i heard was don't hire rock stars you don't need rock stars no, to do acquisition terrible advice terrible or hire rock stars and just be prepared that they're gonna steal your shit and leave. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't like either of those options. So we thought, what's a way that we can create a, a company where our vision and our dream is so big that the goals and dreams and vision of our acquisition managers can fit into that somehow. And so what we came up with was a credit system. So I designed this as a way uh, to cut down on losing acquisition managers originally. Um, so if you're currently doing creative finance, if you're doing sub twos, if you're doing seller finance, and you 
what I'm about to tell you, I think will really change your business if you implement this. If you're not doing creative, I would encourage you to learn how for this reason alone, if you're a scaled operation. So the way this, the credit system works is every time you get a creative deal to close for the company, you earn one credit. For every three credits you earn as an acquisition manager, the next one you get, you get to keep the house. So for every three houses you get me, you get to keep one. So now you're no longer just paying the money. Of course, everyone wants money, but what do these people really want? Mm -hmm. They want financial freedom just like you do. And so we are able to bring people on that are out of our league. The people that we have on our team are out of our league. I would not be able to pay them enough to keep them on board, interested, and hanging around. But the reason why they will is because now they're building their own rental portfolio, leveraging my marketing, mm -hmm. my staff, my connections on the real on the construction side, my connections on the banking side if they need it, my connections on the management side. These are people who already wanted a rental portfolio, maybe didn't have the means, maybe didn't have the courage or the know-how or the connections, and now, you can take someone who is, a, in one case, a pharmaceutical rep making $150,000, leave their job and come work for Fifth Avenue Property Group with the hope of maybe making 90 to 100, but at the end of their first year have three properties in their portfolio. Yeah. So if you're 25, 30 years old and you have a choice between 150 or 100 with three rental properties, for a lot of people, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. And so we have created this culture where we're all working towards the same thing. We talk about financial freedom. We don't talk about our competition. We don't talk about what anybody else is doing. We're talking about how are each of us individually going to accomplish financial freedom. Of course, I'm gonna get there first. It's my company. You've right. gotta get me my three if you wanna keep your one. But once I get there, I'm not gonna close the doors. No, what do you do when you get there? You turn around and you help other people up. So at that point, and we've got this all planned out, I'm three and a half years away from getting financial freedom. When we get there, in the sense of passive, when we get there, I don't need you to give me three properties to keep one. I wanna keep the doors open. You just keep wholesaling your ass off. That's what matters. Mm -hmm. That's how you keep people focused on wholesaling is because they have this, this opportunity to get their own properties. So now I'm free for every one property you get the company, you keep one until we're all free. So the goal being you fast forward seven, eight years, there is no company. We're done, we're all free, we're gone. And so it's a totally different vibe with our team because we're all rowing in the same direction. We're all pursuing financial freedom, not them, pursuing money while getting me financially free. How long can you keep those people around? Oh, I love it. It's I love difficult. that. So um, in on top of that, what are the what are you paying them right now per transaction? Yeah. So we have a sliding scale starts at around it starts at 10%. So 10% of the gross spread. Um, and then it goes up. So as you get bigger deals, the percentage you keep increases. So we've had multiple $100,000 deals, they're keeping 20% of that. Mm. So as you go up, it slides up. And then for every, uh, if you do five or more deals in a month, 
you get a two-point kicker on everything that month. So it, it ends up being around 11 12% on average. Um, but again, that becomes a little less important. And of course, everybody needs to make money. I'm not going to downplay the, the pay portion of this, but it becomes a little less important when the true reason you're doing it is financial freedom. I love this. So, um, so we're having some challenges with the, the technology. Um, I'm just got some other ones. So you mentioned you have a contract construction crew. No, I, I have contacts with contacts. Co yeah. So we have a crew that we, uh, I wouldn't call it our crew, but they only do work for us because yeah. what we do is we've got these sub twos closing and they all need work. They all need some updates. So we keep those going. And then just to keep them working for us, we will keep maybe one flip at a time going so far this year we've had one one or two flips going all year i'm, I'm not a fan of flipping um i've tr you know it's just not my strength my wife luckily manages it and does it very well um, but if you if i'm managing it like you'll just come in one day to paint and the lights will be off or there'll be no water like all of the issues with uh you with um utilities and stuff so so i think one of the things like you're having a lot of success right now okay there has to be some challenges. Sure. What are your biggest struggles right now? Oh man, there's a lot. One is money. I mean, believe it or not, not in, as far as us making money, but as far as having the ability to generate um, lenders to cover these sub two deals. Mm. I mean, you can completely strangle your cash flow if you try to scale a sub two business without simultaneously increasing your wholesale. Um, and so what you find is, let's say you do $150,000 in wholesale fees and you're working at like even a 50% profit. Um, if you do four sub twos at $13,000 a piece, there's $52,000 that's just gone. Um, and yeah, again, we're working towards this, this $50,000. That's what we're focused on. So you're not going to see me driving a Lambo. Like mm -hmm. we're focused on this $50,000. Um, but you still, you want to have enough money to be able to continue to drive the marketing machine. And so that's when I had a conversation with Pace and he's like, you got to bring lenders. I've been self-funding everything. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. You've got to bring, well, through the crazy <laughs> amount of wholesale deals we do, like when I say self-funding, I'm not cutting checks out of our account. We're literally just bleeding the business dry, building our portfolio. And Pace yeah. was like, no, because to me, I had a mental, this, this like head trash where it was, okay, if I'm gonna do a flip and I use a lender, I've got a clear path to how I'm gonna get this guy or gal their money back. But when you're doing a sub two and you're gonna lease option it, where's the exit? The exit could be three, five years away. Right. And so I was trying to wrap my head around who's gonna lend me money at a reasonable- Because you're used to hard money lenders or people yeah. that want their cash back. Yep. And you've since found out, what yep. was the lesson you learned? Uh, the lesson I learned was people will take an eight to ten percent consistent return for sixty months, mm -hmm. um, but that's one. Of, yeah, and that's one of the struggles is finding those people. So what are you doing about that? Um, just in the last three months, like reaching out to all of the lenders I know and saying, "Is this something that would interest you?" Luckily, we've had one say yes. Um, but we're just we're looking. Until yeah. then, I just keep writing checks, and <laughs> I'm not going to stop moving towards that fifty thousand. There's got to be. Gotta, though in that group uh, I mean I'm sure you somebody's asking this question inside the sub two crew 
right? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. We've discussed it, um, and the recurring theme seems to be you've just got to find lenders who are willing to let their money sit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other thing is, you know, my entry fees are only thirteen thousand dollars, give or take. So, if, which is on the lower side. It is, it is, but we're not doing a whole lot to these places. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're cherry picking out the best ones because we disposition creative deals as well. So we're only keeping the best ones. So who's gonna give me $13,000 um, for 60 months at eight or 10%? It's just not that sexy. And so we're trying to find a way to package, here's three to five houses and I think figure I'm, out. I think that's also in your head. Probably. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to talk about that somewhere later on. Okay, I'm all ears. Yeah, so what is your superpower? Superpower? Um, Discipline, for sure. Yeah, well, I I think having a body like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, and not just like, I think a lot of people can muster up discipline in minor doses. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm talking about like extreme, savage discipline to the point where, um, I made a decision three years ago. So what I did was I told you I was kind of disappointed with myself um, where I was as a man um, three years ago. And so when I sat down, I wrote down, here's the kind of man that I'm going to become. And these were non-negotiables. And one of them was wake up at four o'clock. One of them was I'm not going to eat like shit. Um, and there was a long list of things. And once I made that decision, um, I never, in three years, I've never disappointed myself. Hmm. Um, and that means a lot to me because it's, it's a sign of me keeping true to my word to myself. I think so many people hold other people's commitments sacred, right? What they say to other people, they'll be a man or a woman of their word, but they don't do that to themselves. They make excuses for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. No, I don't do that. So. Um, I think for me, it started with little victories, um, which begins to build confidence. And then from there, you know, you can become unstoppable. Uh, someone says here, Alex Hellazar says, you need to meet with Dave Day. And that's my private money mentor. So, okay, I'm aware of him. I've seen some of your guys stuff together and I've definitely yeah. considered that. Yeah. Uh, and then someone else is asking pre-probate. Just pre-probate question mark. You wanna elaborate on that? Yeah, um, as best I can. I don't know all the legalities, but I'm pretty sure it just means everybody who has passed away. Mm-hmm. So not everyone who dies goes through probate, right? So mm-hmm. pre-probate is just a, a list you can buy separate from probates that is just everyone who has passed away who owned property. Um, a lot of those are gonna be duplicates. Later they'll come through as a probate list, right. but not all. Yep. Absolutely right. And then uh, what is the greatest lesson you have learned? This doesn't have to be just in real estate. Um, hmm. That's a tough one. I would say um, what we just talked about. I think really for me, um, becoming a man of your word to yourself, it changed my whole life. I mean, I, really everything that I do now is based on who I am. Yeah. I sat down, I wrote down who I wanted to become I became that person and all of my decisions, regardless of how I feel, are based on who I am. Because as you know, if you do how, if you do what you feel like doing, <laughs> you're not gonna have a successful career or a no. life for that matter. So I make every single decision based on who I am as a man, not how I feel. That's incredible. Um, who is it right here? Daniel Nguyen says, you sound a little bit like Jocko Wilnick. So I think that's, 
That's a compliment, I think. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, so, let's see. The question is here. How do you how do you plan on getting to 50k passive with Sev2? I think that's self-explanatory, but maybe you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, no, pretty self-explanatory. We're averaging about $900 a month adding passive cash flow yeah. uh, through sub twos. So, um, I guess, yeah. So how many doors are you adding a month right now? Um, we're adding between three and four. Okay, um, so three or four. We, we average about $300 a month cash flow, um, which means I need about 150 doors to reach 50K. Gotcha. We're on our way. And then Elaine wants to know, what is your favorite marketing strategy? Direct mail. Um, I don't have any fancy secrets. My postcard looks like shit. It's cost a quarter. Um, and it's it's been the same since the, day, the, the postcard that I sent in January of 2018 is the same postcard we send now. It's black and white. It says notice real big across the top. Um, and it just works. Who are you using for that? Uh, we use a local company in Pittsburgh. Gotcha. Pittsburgh Mailing. Um, so let's see. Yeah, they were asking questions. What do you do for marketing? Where do you answer that? So number one, market strategy, mailers. That's it. No secrets. And that's that's the great thing because you're talking about something that's not sexy at all. Yeah. All right. It's not this fancy thing. It's right. just you just do what you know works. And yep. it's amazing what you can accomplish if you just do what you know works. Yep. But it's so easy to get distracted. Ordinary things done consistently create extraordinary results. We've yeah. all seen it. Yeah. Cold calling is nothing special. But if you cold call for two hours every day, seven days a week, you'll get special results. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's not sexy. So I, I share with you, right? I updated the intro, you know, for today. And I wrote down, you know, if you take massive action, you'll have success. And I changed it to consistent action because it's really not massive action that swings that that moves the needle. No. It's doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, it's how uh, riverbeds are made. You know, it's just, you just need to be consistent. Yep. Uh, what is your favorite, best, or most interesting failure? Wow. Okay, Buzzkill. Uh, <laughs> man, trying to be positive here for the kids. Um, two, I would say two things. One is social media. I suck on social media. So if you're out there and you're like a social media maven um, and you like this obnoxious personality and awesome beard, um, let me know because I could use some love. But um, I, <laughs> I told my wife when I started because I watched Max Maxwell. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to start a vlog, which is a video blog, Steve. And I'm right. going to blow this thing up. It's going to be called zero to, zero to seven in 12. So zero to seven in 12, zero to seven figures in 12 months. So I'm going to build this wholesaling business to seven figures in the first 12 months. And we shot, we shot video, we shot two episodes. And what I quickly came to realize was getting to seven figures wholesaling was a lot easier than making a vlog. I hated it. I was self-conscious. <laughs> Every time the dude would call me like, Hey, we got to shoot. I blow him off. Fast forward 12 months and my wife's like, well, you should have done it. Here we are, seven figures in your first, you called it. You're like, you're like Babe Ruth did and nobody got to see any of it. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge failure. The other one would be, um, you know, we try not to cancel too many deals. I know you guys close on everything. We're yep. probably like 80%, some of our stuff falls through, um, which I think is still pretty good given our volume. Um, but we lost some money on a deal because I locked it up too high 
sent it out to our list, realized within the first day it was too high, wasn't getting any action, um, did something we never do, which is send it out a second time at a reduced price, started calling buyers in the area. Nobody wanted this deal. Called the old lady back and said, hey, my funding partners, I told you we're not buying this ourselves. They're not seeing this the way we are. I'm going to have to cancel. She was so nice. So, okay, Matthew, I completely understand. Canceled the deal. It was a 60-day contract. Fast forward 45 days, her son, Leo, I'll never forget, calls me. I was cutting my grass and says, hey, how's it coming on the closing? We haven't heard anything. And I said, Leo, uh, I canceled that two days after I signed. I spoke to your mom and he lost his mind. And I don't mean he was mad, he was crying, he was upset. And he said, listen, my mom's got dementia. She's really struggling. We have been looking forward to this closing for 45 days. She's living with my sister in a two bedroom apartment. She needs this money. And I'm not saying you didn't tell her you were canceling, but she doesn't remember. She's packed up and moved out. So I call my dispositions girl and I say, what, what happens if we take this to the MLS? She's like, well, it's, it's pretty ugly. So how bad is it gonna be? Well, it looks like we could lose anywhere from like five to 10. So I talked to my wife, who's the uh, CFO, and I'm like, hey, I messed up. Here's the situation. I think we should buy this house. And she was like, what do you, why? What do you mean? Well, we decided to buy it. We sold it. We lost about eight grand. So is that a failure? Yes, but technically uh, we lost money. But It's a business failure. It is. It is. It's but not a moral failure. We try to operate. I call it leaving crumbs. I don't want to go through life leaving crumbs where I've got to look over my shoulder and, mm. and feel like I've done people wrong. So that's probably it. Yeah. I wouldn't call that a failure. I think that's admirable. And we've done that. I mean, losing money for us. We've walked away from, you know, earnest money. I've actually had a situation where I, not only did I cancel and gave him my earnest money, she called me later on. I was like, I lost this because of you were buying it. I was like, well, how, how much did you lose because of this? It's <laughs> like, all right, I, I wrote her a check for that, you know, made her whole because yeah. she made a decision based off my offer. Right. Right. So yeah. I rather, like, I sleep better exactly. writing a check than, you know, knowing someone's out there, like, suffering because of me. Exactly. Um, yep. So you, uh, Ebony Ray wants to know what title company you're using. I'm guessing she's in your market. P PV Settlement. I'm glad you asked. They're yeah. the best. Uh, and Patrick Fitzgerald wants to know, when you started, what kind of budget did you have? Uh, man, 5,000 postcards. I wish uh, I could phone a friend here. I'd call my wife. But whatever it costs to send 5,000 postcards. Yeah. Um, the data was, was pretty cheap. I was using like list source and stuff. So a um, couple thousand bucks. So you've got a library inside your head. I do. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, just doing quick math, over 100 books in the last few years. For sure. What would be the top two or three books that someone's got to read? Hmm, man, that's hard to, to narrow down. Um, the guy brought up um, Jocko Willing. Mm -hmm. That book was gifted to me by Ryan Schlaba, who you had on your show. Incredible um, dude. Yeah, they kill it in Pittsburgh. The market leaders there for sure. So he gifted me extreme ownership. Um, and that book to me, it, it just really spoke to me. It definitely kind of surmises everything I've said here today about taking responsibility for everything. It kind of started for me with Grant Cardone. He would talk about how if you get in a car accident, it's your fault. You should have left five minutes sooner. You could have been further back, whatever. Um, but it really didn't resonate with me until I heard that book and really came to realize that 
once you take responsibility for everything in your life, now you have control and now you can you can move forward. So that book for sure, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. There's so many. I'm really thankful I read The Road Less Stupid pre-COVID. Um, that book, chapter 10 of The Road Less Stupid, I listen to it once a week. Yeah. That will tell you exactly what not to do. What chapter, uh, what was that topic on that chapter? Uh, something about um, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Mm. And he talks about the lessons learned from the 2008 crash. And he mm. goes through all of the things, the arrogance, the complacency, all of the things that lead to people um, failing when a market shifts. And he talks about how when the market shifts, you can't make cuts quick enough. You can't um, adjust quick enough. And that was so true in COVID. We literally, and this was so frustrating. And I want to actually give you a shout out for this. I told you this on Facebook. I don't know if you remember, but when COVID happened, there were so many national gurus saying, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. Double down on marketing, go all in. Everyone else is going to pull back the reins. You should go all in. That's what we're doing. What was frustrating for me in the Pittsburgh market was we couldn't close on properties. Yeah. So I had no clear path to revenue. Yeah, I could increase my marketing, but without knowing when I was ever gonna have a closing. What you said is, here's what we are doing. We haven't changed anything. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense, because you can speak to your market, yeah. but you didn't say you shouldn't change anything, and there were so many national guys. And it's frustrating, because here I am on a Zoom with my team saying, guess what, guys, no more direct mail, sorry. We got to step up our self-gen game. We're going to continue to do this, continue to do that. But direct mail is done. Mm -hmm. And they're listening to the same gurus I'm listening to. And they're saying, well, they're telling us we should be doubling down. Why mm -hmm. are we cutting back? Thankfully, we made cuts. My business cost about $61,000 a month to operate. We got it down to about eleven, in, I mean, like a day. Yeah. We literally turned everything off amped up the uh, self-gens, started doing Zooms, stayed positive. My team was incredible through COVID because Pennsylvania, we just, we, it was brutal. Well, it's interesting because Ryan, I thought pivoted faster than anybody, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was incredible. So it sounds like you, you guys did the same thing. Yeah, and we all talked and said that this is not looking good with our governor and this mandate. Um, Again, it's not that you, you probably could have carved out a bigger market share during that time. Possibly. But at what expense? There's no, we had no idea when we were going to have our next closing. We talked to our title company and, and they basically said, we can continue to move forward. But if the government agencies aren't providing us with the things we need, I have no idea when your next closing is going to be. Yeah. So you're locking up properties today that typically would close in 30 that may not close for 60, 90, 120 days. And at that point, by the way, I have no idea what the ARV is going to be. Yeah. So I don't even know if these are deals. Stressful. Yeah. I remember Stressful. I was on a couple of calls and I made that, uh, I, I made a comment to somebody. I was like, you're making really bad suggestions. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think they liked what I had to say, but... I thought that you can't it's, you can't blanket statement of this whole country like real exactly. estate's local. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, and then I think uh, uh, doing when he wants to know, what do you recommend someone who has a full time job doing this business? Um, who has a full time job doing this business? What's your advice to someone like that? Yeah. Um, that's tough. I mean, you you've got to 
run, I think Ed Milet calls them mini days. You've got to run mini days where your nine to five is day one and, uh, you know, catch your breath. I don't know if Dewey has kids, but um, six to 11, like I said, for me, uh, you know, I work till 11 every night and I didn't yeah. have another job, but you're going to have to work from six to 11. You're going to have to work weekends and it's worth it. I mean, it's, you don't have a choice it. when you're your first three years or longer. This is like 40 hours is, is, is not going to cut it. No kiss it goodbye. And I would also <laughs> tell them spend as much time on uh, self self improvement as you do on the wholesaling. I mean, because it's so hard that if you're not in a good headspace, you will quit. Yeah. And then 61,000 pre COVID. Where was that going? What was I spending it on? Mm -hmm. Well, we spend $16,600 a month on marketing, give or take. We spend about $22,000 a month on payroll. That includes my wife and I. We take a pretty healthy salary. Um, and then, I don't know, shit. I just, you spend it. I don't even know. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, so systems, systems, um, uh, self-development. Yeah, definitely. Travel. Definitely. All those things. There's a lot of expenses in this up. business. It adds up quick. And, you know, one of the good things about COVID, if there are any, is it made us reevaluate things. What don't we need? We had a lot of weird shit in there. I didn't even know we had yeah. that we cut and never brought back. Yeah. And that's the story I, I heard it consistently. We actually didn't cut any expenses. That's uh, probably good. You were tight. Yeah, well, we were running lean. Yeah, no, we were waiting for yeah. <laughs> something like this. Yeah. Um, and then let's see. All right, cool. So yeah, you got a lot of love. People loving you uh, on YouTube. So um, I'm gonna let you think about one quick thought while I make a couple of quick announcements. Uh, so guys, uh, we got next week, we got uh, Keith Everett and Lenny coming out from Birmingham, Alabama. We're gonna hear about their story and what they're doing. Um, and then uh, again, we just one last reminder: we do have that productivity uh, Zoom call tomorrow. So if you guys are interested, disruptors.com/time. Like I said, I'm not selling anything. Uh, this is just people ask me how I run seven businesses and still have time for my family. I'm going to share what works for me, um, and it's not going to be any secrets. Like it's stuff that I've learned through books and everything else. Yeah. But I'm just going to share what works for me. Uh, so before I forget, because you're a social media star, how, how can they get hold of you on social media? The real Matthew Simmons. And that's, you know, there's so many imposters. I had to be the real one, apparently. Well, um, and there's Matt Simmons as a really good realtor in Pittsburgh. There is another Matt Simmons. That's right. So it's very confusing. But I'm the real Matthew Simmons with two T's. All right. So what's the last thought you want to leave everybody with? Um, you know, I thought about this and there's, man, there's already so much out there on, on the ins and outs and ninja tips and tricks and all those things. For me, something that I find very useful in life, not just as an entrepreneur, is finding perspective. One of my favorite entrepreneurs is Jesse Itzler and he talks about death and coming to terms with it, embracing it, preparing for it. And he talks about it specifically in the context of his parents. And for some of your listeners, I'm sure this might be more applicable for their, for their grandparents. But instead of thinking, you know, figure out how often you see you visit your parents or in some cases your grandparents. And let's just say you live in Pittsburgh, they live in Florida. That's pretty common. So you visit your, your folks maybe five times a year or your grandparents. And you're, they're 75 years old. People make the mistake and are arrogant in thinking that they have time. They're 75, they're probably gonna live to 80, I have time. 
the way he breaks it down and the way I've learned to break it down is you don't have five years left with your grandparents. You're only seeing them five times a year. You have 25 visits left with them. And when you put things into that perspective, it's easier for me, I'm 45 years old. I've, I've been able to learn that as a 21, 22 year old. It's very hard to wrap your head around that when it comes to grandparents. So one of the exercises that I use that's really brought me to kind of center is I imagine it's my last day on earth. It sounds kind of extreme, but I imagine it's my last day on earth. I go to my wife and I say, okay, you know, I got some news. This is it tonight at midnight. I'm going to bed. I'm not going to wake up. What are we going to do? Well, let's go. So let's get in the car. Let's get the kids. Let's go somewhere. And we just get in the car and in this fictitious scenario, we're just driving somewhere towards the beach, towards the mountains. I don't know. Let's just go. Let's drive east towards the coast. And the car breaks down. And so now I'm on the side of the road. It's my last day. And I'm in the car with my wife and my kids. So before I had this perspective, what I would do is punch the steering wheel, scream the F word, and make it really miserable for the people in that car until AAA got there. Um, I, I think what I've been able to do is say, well, wait a minute, it's my last day on earth. Is that re You wouldn't do that if it was your last day on earth. Mm -hmm. What would you do? You'd say, all right, guys, let's get out of the car. Let's go over here to this field and let's go run around. Let's play. Let's, let's sing a song. Let's whatever. But you wouldn't sit in that car and you wouldn't be miserable because, mm -hmm. again, it's your last day on earth. And for me, I constantly remind myself of that perspective. Calm down keep things in perspective and appreciate the time that you have right now with these kids. We talked about it. My oldest is four. Yeah. I mean, he thinks I'm Superman. That goes away. and Probably next year. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to put him back in his place. Um, <laughs> but the point is, truly appreciate what you have right now mm -hmm. in this moment. Having kids a little later for me has been a, a godsend. My wife and I do not take anything for granted. So many people say, oh, before you know it, they're grown up. And you're not even going to remember. No, we, we take mental note every day of how lucky we are and how much we're enjoying this journey. And I think too often as entrepreneurs, um, we get caught up in the grind, in the hustle, and we don't stop to appreciate things along the way. Yeah, that's powerful. And I think that you're right. It's really easy to overlook. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So great. Last bit, I think that's something that's um, something everybody needs to hear. So thank you very much for yeah. sharing that. And guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for putting up with the technical difficulties. Um, but we made it through. <laughs> thank you for coming out here. My thank pleasure. you for sharing your story. I think it's really powerful. I think awesome. a lot of really good gems there. I told everyone to write down one. I don't know if they're going to be able to write down just one from all that. <laughs> good. I had a blast. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, see we real estate disruptors, can't nobody touch us, and yeah we about to give you game, shout out to Steve Train, real estate disruptors, they cannot touch us, and yeah we about to give you game, shout out to Steve Train, jump on the Steve Train.